Hey, what's up, everybody? Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley is presented by Domino's Hawaii, now promising contactless delivery to assure that your pizza is delivered safely to your door. Domino's Hawaii wants to thank its entire team for their efforts in staying safe, keeping sanitized, and working hard to serve our neighbors during these trying times. And a special thanks to you, the customers, for your continued trust. As a locally owned company, Domino's Hawaii knows there are people seeking work, and it is hiring as many in our community as possible right now. We're all in this together, so take care out there, and let's look forward to the next big sporting event where we can all gather and celebrate as one. All right, let's talk sports. Hey, what's up, Jordan? How's it going, man? Have you been like me and sort of glued to the television here watching some of the coverage of the various protests across the country and uh, some pretty daunting, frankly, heartbreaking imagery along the way uh, here in uh, what has just been a calamitous week in the United States? I think like a lot of people, it's been hard to look away. I've almost had to to force myself, I think, a little bit to to remove from the, the constant uh, imagery on television and, and especially social media um, and not to bury my head in the sand or anything like that, but I think to seek reflection, uh, to seek information uh, about a, a lot of what's going on, right? And, and, and trying to figure out how in some form or way, uh, you know, myself or, or those around me can, can help to make things better and and i'm not saying solve some big systemic issue or something like that but but play whatever role i should in in moving forward um as we see a lot of that heartbreak as you mentioned it's a little off brand for us but it didn't feel right we're doing things a little differently here for this episode of the podcast it didn't feel right to sort of start things off with our usual goofiness and we play the whistling sounds and all that stuff and uh with all that is happening uh it just felt like this was an episode that required us to talk about that. Uh, And so we are gonna have Kovika Hallams, former University of Hawaii basketball standout, who is now an overnight patrol sergeant in Kalihi for the Honolulu Police Department. He is going to join us uh, because he is a man of color. He is black and Hawaiian, a man who has experienced, uh, I think, life from those various perspectives, right? As a law enforcement officer, uh, as a black man in his experiences on the mainland, as you'll hear. Uh, and certainly as someone who grew up uh, within the Hawaiian culture and the local culture here in Hawaii and all of that informs and educates his role and his approach as a member of law enforcement. And uh, very interesting to hear uh, his philosophies there and and his uh, true faith and belief that the Honolulu Police Department is trying to do things the right way when it comes to community relations. And, and, and you'll hear this. Uh, because he has uh, quite a a tremendous, I think, and appropriate perspective. Uh, What we're seeing playing out here as the country continues to be in turmoil, uh, protests continue as a reaction to the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police a week ago. Uh, And I think what has transpired from this uh, is not just the imagery, uh, but I think just the disgusting irony of some people who appear to be more appalled, perhaps, at uh, Colin Kaepernick, kneeling during the national anthem at football games than a police officer on video kneeling on the back of a man's neck until he was unresponsive. 
And, and I think that that is certainly disconcerting. We are also seeing, though, uh, the overwhelming reaction of members of the sports world and community uh, expressing their feelings to what has transpired. But it is, again, maddening because you have Roger Goodell, the commissioner for the NFL, who issues a statement expressing sadness over the, quote, tragic events across the country, saying there's a, quote, urgent need for action. And he went so far as to say the protesters' reactions to these incidents reflect the pain, anger, and frustration that so many of us feel. And I'm like, dude, you don't have the right to comment on this topic when the NFL effectively banned Colin Kaepernick from their platform for demonstrating on behalf of this exact thing. And so this this strange loop that we're in now of being back in this position Uh, of seeing something that is so grotesque and so awful. Uh, That is why I wanted to make sure that we talk with Kavika Howlands because I think he's a guy that can speak in a much more informed way to this topic. Well, absolutely. Um, And I I really appreciated our conversation with Kavika. I appreciate Kavika sharing a lot of his experiences as well. And and I hope our listeners um, take a bit of that from it as well. Colin Kaepernick's a guy that I've I've thought about uh, quite a bit over the last few days and and kind of circling back to that, right? As you've mentioned, uh, in kind of the irony, cruel irony, um, when it comes to viewing it from a sports angle, if you will, uh, from our side of things and and just what we do, the peaceful protest that he chose to adopt, um, you know, and and how that message got co-opted in in many different ways, you know, and, and I think really detracted and distracted from the message. It was a pretty simple one at a time. And look, his method has been litigated in talk radio at water coolers for, for years now. Um, some of the things that, that he did that, that maybe weren't productive in, in terms of how he framed that message, sure. Uh, I think a lot of those things echo now. Uh, a lot of those things echo now where, sure, you can choose to focus on the rioting. You can choose to focus on some of the individuals who choose to go through this time and and loot establishments and burn buildings down and damage private property and things like that. Like that's happening. There's no denying that. I don't think it is a huge percentage of the folks who are going about peacefully protesting as is their constitutional right and doing it in the proper way. But I think there is going to be a lot of that, right? In the same way that that we went about picking apart Colin Kaepernick, the individual, and Colin Kaepernick leading this method of protest. And quite honestly, it was you um, on our radio show years ago now. And I don't know if you were the first one where I heard it from, but it's always stuck with me. And it's basically, you can feel those ways. You can choose to, to get a little hung up on messaging and packaging and framing of it. You can choose a little bit you know, you can get a little hung up on the fact that, yeah, some of the protests have turned, have turned ugly for whatever reason. Uh, but what you can't do, what we can't fail to do is then introspectively and, and with conversation, truly, honestly, listen to the message, right? It, it, it may not come in the package you want it delivered in. You didn't like the kneeling, even if you don't like the rioting. Like, sure, okay, that is what it is. But you've got to find a way to listen to the message. And and I know you've said that for, for years now. And, and, and that's something that in our conversations, sometimes our conversations are as frivolous as they get, but, but sometimes they get, uh, they get pretty serious. Um, and, and that's something that I've taken away over these years. Uh, we're focusing more on the protests as opposed to what's behind the protests. Uh, and obviously, 
in, in many cases, the media is going to focus on some of the more uh, sensational imagery, right? And we're going to see some more of the chaos and the riots and those kinds of things. But there are some areas where you are seeing peaceful protests and you are seeing very encouraging, very positive communication between law enforcement and the protesters. We would love to see more of that. And I think it's, it's important that we understand that. Uh, this has shined a light on race relations. And, and we are fortunate to grow up uh, in Hawaii, where I have always sort of considered the multiculturalism here, the diversity that is here. Uh, I have often considered that, I've liked to have considered that throughout the majority of my life uh, as a reason why we are a little further along maybe in terms of the comfort level with one another. And that goes for people of different ethnic backgrounds, that goes for people of different professions, uh, certainly in terms of the relationship between the community and law enforcement. Uh, you don't see as many instances that are as inflammatory as what we just witnessed a week ago. I am thankful for that. And again, you and I probably aren't the two best guys uh, to have a conversation about race relations uh, as it pertains to black people in the United States. You know, that's, we don't have the perspective, uh, but I do think that very easily it is something that we all sort of have to take on as a responsibility. Uh, it is still something that we can focus on every day of just having a respect for people. And that respect does not come uh, under the guise of, oh, I don't see color. I, you know, I, you hear that all the time, right? People are saying, oh, you know, when I, when I look at other people, I don't see skin color. And I think that that's such BS. Because if you aren't seeing skin color, if you are colorblind, so to speak, then you are ignoring a major part of what makes that person them. That's like saying, I, I'm ignoring, I don't hear names when I meet people. I don't, I don't hear names. I don't listen to names. It's like, no, but that's part of who they are. It's okay to recognize that. The point is recognize that you are talking to somebody that is of a different background, uh, ethnically, culturally, but the key is just having a respect for that and not creating a prejudice or a fear just based on you know, something that is mythical. Uh, and I think that's the important thing. That's the only thing that I feel comfortable saying based on my experiences growing up here in Hawaii where, hey, look, I have five different ethnicities uh, and I would you know, be in school with kids who had like as many as 12 or 13 and I'd be jealous of them. Like, I'd be like, man, I wish I had that many. I wish, I think that's so cool to be comprised of so many different things. And so I think that mentality is very different. And that's something that is much more commonplace here than maybe it is in other areas of the country. Uh, and that's something that I take great pride in as a member of this community. And I would hope that we can, at least to a degree, serve as an example for how people treat one another and, and how people can have the ability to tease one another and laugh at one another, uh, even if it's based on, on certain generalizations. Like, that's okay. If we can laugh about each other, if we can tease ourselves, if we can laugh with and at each other, we're just so much better for it. And so I, I'm hoping that we can, in some form, serve as an example for people elsewhere. Well, I agree. I, I think, you know, in Hawaii, it's, it's different. I mean, it really is. It, it's unique in a lot of ways um, when it comes to how people are raised, the, just the, the history of diversity and multiculturalism here. Um, and we get into it a little bit in the conversation with Kavika and, and how that uh, sort of manifests, manifests itself um, in community law enforcement relations, how it manifests itself in organized protest. 
in, in just how, how people and groups here go about those type of day-to-day activities or, or even in special events, as, as we've mentioned, when it comes to, to protesting an issue or something like that. So I, I, it is different, right? And I, and I think unless you're from Hawaii, it's, it's really hard to know and, and understand or at least have spent some time here. Um, it, it's different. So that, that is for sure. Um, and, you know, not to ramble on too long, but it, it's definitely something that uh, I think Kavika gets into and, and touches on very eloquently for sure. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, play that interview uh, with Kavika Hallops. All right, so we're here with uh, Kavika Hallams. It's great to talk with you again. Uh, we have been in hiatus as far as Spectrum Sports coverage of University of Hawaii basketball. I know that you are a man of many titles, not only as an analyst on television, uh, but also a guy who is a much sought-after MC of events, former Rainbow Warrior basketball player, uh, but perhaps most importantly, certainly for the sake of this conversation, a patrol sergeant for Honolulu Police Department in Kalihi overnight. And so I just wanted to invite you to help us engage in this conversation because you are a man of multiple ethnic backgrounds. You are a man who is in law enforcement. And so you are much more informed and come from a a much more appropriate perspective on what's happening in the country around us than certainly myself and speaking on behalf of Jordan as well. So I guess just a general question, what has been your reaction and, and your observation to just all of this that is happening right now this week across the country? Just the word hurt. Uh, just uh, that word just kind of resonated with me just on so many different levels regarding the actual event that preceded all of this that you're seeing, that we're seeing all over the country that translated into the training that led to the unfortunate death of, you know, Mr. Floyd and, and everything that happened thereafter the frustration of the people out there and you know again like you said I, I can split myself up in about three or four parts and I have a way of explaining why I'm for or against either side but mainly the safety the public safety is the issue where you're seeing just buildings being burnt to the ground of sacred areas that in different communities that were untouchable but of course the prayers go out to the family of the Floyd family and all that and that that's the thing that resonates immediately but the hurt that follows and, and to see it continue on to this minute you know it's just it's, it's, it's tough to it's tough to see yeah I mean there, there's so many complexities so many moving parts to this so I guess we'll start with the incident a week ago uh, what are the emotions there what do you feel like should have happened in that kind of situation when I saw that initially anger I, I was just angry at not just I mean obviously at the way it was handled by that officer, but just angered at the type of training he must have received, his partners may have received prior to dealing with those type of situations, which they put us through here in Hawaii, our Honolulu Police Department, I'll put us up against anyone in the nation. And even when officers from different nations come down and train with us or we go to the mainland, they're very impressed with how we go about doing things. And if it was the three of us on a case and I saw someone getting frustrated, even verbally, you got to intercede. You need to step in. You need to do the right thing. If the experience is something that you're afraid of the retaliation from the, let's say, the, the more experienced officer at the scene, then you don't belong in that department. You don't belong. You don't deserve to wear that badge if you don't have the integrity. Everyone talks about we're so brave. We're so brave. Be brave right there. You could have had a brave moment to just get your guy off of this dude and say, hey, listen, we got him. We'll take care of him and all that. There's a way of doing it where you're not going to embarrass him. But at that point already, 
you're involved. You're involved, and this is not over for these officers by any stretch of the imagination, particularly those who were assisting. But to go back to our training in, in Honolulu, that's what made me more angry because we're not perfect. We have scenarios here that go sideways that, you know, we could have dealt with it in a better way. But we simulate any event you can even imagine of this type of behavior and worse. And that is why Hawaii is considered really one of the top agencies to train your officers. And with the multi-ethnic background that you see here in Hawaii, it doesn't matter what race you are, you're going to go and you're going to save your guy. You're going to save him from losing his house, going to jail, his freedom, those kind of things. You got to step up. And that, that's what made me, that's what made me really, really angry. But then I go back to my culture, my race. Now I'm getting upset now that why did it have to be in this scenario again? You know, why are we still here 2020 and we, I'm still seeing this. And even when I'm off duty and I can speak about, I had a scenario in Arizona visiting my sister. And I had my badge. I had everything that you needed on me. But the race issue is real. It is real, particularly on the continental United States, because we were treated as if we committed a big-time crime. At that point, you just want to get out of there, don't want to cause any more problems. But it frustrated me there as well. Yeah, Kavik, I appreciate you sharing a little bit of that story. How much – do you carry uh, your lived experiences? You know, I, you mentioned in Hawaii, it's a little different than it is on the mainland, but you're a guy that if you've got family on the mainland, you've spent time on the mainland, it, it is a little different, but how much do you carry some of those lived experiences into, into your job every day in, in what you're asked to do in, in, in being an officer of the law, of being a public safety officer, trying to rectify all that, as you, as you talked about, you, you can slice this so many ways. Obviously, I'm older than you guys are, of course, but I just have those life experiences and the cultural background of all the people, not only in my family, but those that I've met through the sports world. I was roommates with a New Yorker. I was best friends with a guy from Miami Dade. I mean, you're looking at guys from New York, Philadelphia, guys that came in that had that type of chip on their shoulder. Like they're angry at the world. And here they see me and my apartment was like the, the comfort zone for all of them. When they see the type of friends and family that I have in Hawaii, that just cradled them when they got into town and everyone just loved them immediately for who they were. They didn't look at you for the, the color of your skin and all those type of things. They never were one to judge, but I had to start learning from their perspective as well, because I was fortunate. I grew up in Hawaii. Yes. My dad is black. My mom is Hawaiian. But when growing up, it was just all the Hawaiian side, the, the luau's, the, the, the love, you know, everyone's hugging. You know, I didn't even put a gun in my hand until I got into the academy. And a lot of guys make jokes about that, too, on, a, on that level. But they all thought I fired a weapon or two, which I never did until I got to the police academy. Because you just didn't see that, that type of thing here. Whereas my teammates, they lived that every day where they were from. Troy Bowl from New York. Reggie Cross from, you know, from Florida. Phil Lott from Connecticut. You have all of these stories of East Coast, West Coast. You got guys from California. And it was just an amazing time for me to learn about that and really appreciating and can't dismiss those feelings that they have of what they went through, their parents, their uncles, their generations, and those kind of things. And I just started learning because my dad left when I was six years old. So we didn't even learn our black culture at all. And so just being around my teammates just gave me a better idea. And of course, being here in Hawaii, it makes you, when you deal with day-to-day -day cases, day-to-day components of 
different dynamics out there in the field, domestics, domestic arguments, anything like that. Okay, here I'm, I'm going into this thing. I know who I'm dealing with. We got to have that respect at the same time. And then we move on from there. It, it just seems that that's, that's just not the way it works in the biggest parts of the United States. Yeah, and I imagine a lot of that's translatable to, to the, those who work under you now uh, in the police department, your peers as well, who I would imagine come from a pretty diverse background, uh, like a lot of those teammates. Uh, are those discussions you have w- with your guys on the force? Uh, does this come up? Some of the, the issues, whether it sent around race, whether it come around technique or anything like that, when it comes to, to operating on the force, do, do those things come up in, in those conversations? And, and how has that background, you know, kind of helped in that? Sure. I mean, it is huge. And if you're able, and what I'm fortunate is I was coached by great people growing up, you know, of course, the Riley Wallace is, I'll throw Roy Chinosi in there. He's my high school coach. And this, I mean, we had, I had guys that affected my life, but when I talk to my employee, uh, the guys that work under me, I always say they work with me before they go in, and particularly those who come from the mainland. And we've had a lot of recruits that have, and I give them a lot of credit for moving from another situation, another state, coming to Hawaii. But now they need to understand how things go here. Like, you're not going to get immediate answers from, say, a Polynesian family. You're just not. You're not going to get an immediate type of response. Everyone is taught differently. The respect level they listen first. They don't respond. They just bow. They kind of keep their emotions in check. They are very quiet. So you, you can't respond and just get triggered by what you feel is disrespect towards you if you don't understand the culture. So it's really easy for me to pull those guys aside, whether we're on the, you know, after work or before work or on our days off and just kind of going over things to help them. And also those who have been here in Hawaii but have only been around a certain, you know, type of people, let me just put it that way, just the different elements that you have growing up and just letting them understand how important the patience is to learn about another culture, to give that other culture respect. Don't go in with just guns a-blazing. Go in there with some kind of education on what do you have, what kind of family it is, what, what's, what's going on. And, and the technology nowadays, and I thank gosh for my younger guys that I work with, they're, they're up and me in the game where before we get to a lot of the scenes, we are equipped with so much background information of what's happening, the history at the address you're going to go to, the, the names that are popping up. So everyone on the radio is popping in. Oh, I know this guy. Be careful for this. Watch out for that. That kind of thing. So we, we really do a good job of communicating. It's so important. But like you said, Jordan, being able to grow up with the cultural diversity that I have and help, it helps on a daily, on a case-by-case basis as well. Because as you guys know, in Kali. There's a diff, there's just a, it's a different animal out there too within our island. You can make that work for you as well when you show respect. You give respect. The education plays a big part. Plays a big part, no doubt. When I watch some of the protests in various cities across the nation, uh, I think of obviously very different circumstances. But I think of the protests that we have seen from Native Hawaiians. Uh, with regard to the TMT and the construction of that project up on the Mauna, on the Big Island, uh, and other places that have hosted protests to issues such as that. Uh, And I've seen the police presence there, uh, but we have not seen, there were very few instances of those situations becoming so inflamed that it became riotous or chaotic. Uh, What is the approach on behalf of law enforcement, when you're dealing with a group protest setting like that? Respect. The word that's come to my mind is respect. 
respect for your elders, you see who has the respect for those that sacrificed before you to get to that point, to even educate you about the Mauna. You have people going up there for various reasons, but then when they realize it turned into a, it was like a Kanikapila up on that mountain and everyone was up there just loving each other, respecting the guidelines. And you saw there was some awesome footage of, you know, people tearing up law enforcement side as well, being forced to tell their aunties and uncles that I'm going to arrest you. I'm going to, even though it was very respectfully done with the, the straps and all those kind of things that were used, wasn't true handcuffs and everything was prearranged, but to make someone do that with your Hawaiian, I know the, that type of feeling of coming in and, you know, you can't help because you know everyone. It, it was sad to see when you see your kupuna getting taken into the van and all that kind of, it, it just tears you up. But they're there for their reason. And, you know, we're there for our reasons as well. We have families as well that we got to eat. We, that's our job. And even when we're criticized, you know, you're Hawaiian, you should, you should want to do this. Hey, you guys have all the right in the world. I, I feel the same as a Hawaiian. Guys, but there's a way and there's a the process about doing things. But when it comes to the respect level, when you hear all the older generations say, enough, please calm down, they immediately calm down. It's, it, it's tough, man. It gets emotional. I, I just think of my daughters, my son being involved in those type of levels. Now, we're black, Hawaiian, Danish, Japanese, Filipino. So there's all different ways that they can get attacked. And I, I worry, you know, that's where my worry comes in is seeing my son under that car being, you know, on the mainland, if he happens to get, you know, go to the mainland or my daughter being targeted because of the color of her skin and uh, those not knowing that, hey, wait a minute, she's also this, this, this and that. But, but they're also aware of their cultural background and the significance of it, you know. So we're fortunate that we're in the 808 and my experience in Arizona really made me, it hit me in the head where, guys, one wrong move from myself, too, and my sister driving, and I was a passenger, wasn't even driving. And it could have went south in a hurry. So it just made me just realize, man, I'm lucky, and it made me kind of have a little bit more patience and respect for those stories that you hear from the mainland guys, all my African-American brothers and friends that I work with. It's out there. And look, this is 2020, and look what's happening. Uh, you have sort of touched on that experience you had in Arizona um, would you mind going into more specifics about that? Because I think it's unique for a police officer or someone in law enforcement to have an experience from the other perspective, from the other side. And I imagine that that informs a lot of the actions that you take when you are on duty and when you are in certain situations as an officer. Do you, do you mind giving us a little bit more on that experience? Just speaking right now, you know, I bleed blue. This is my guys we work with, we train with, all of these guys. But my, my personal experience, and I was, um, I was about 12, 13 years in, basically it was a traffic stop. My sister, she, we, she pulled into a driveway off the freeway. It was, it was about 11 o'clock. It wasn't even late. We, were, we both weren't drinking. And we, she pulled into, to make a U-turn, she turned into a private driveway, paused to go in the opposite direction. As we are leaving, we get pulled over by this cop who was parked at that private lot claiming we took an entire u-turn i mean so we get pulled over and she's explaining things and he's just like oh you you know you did you just you know committed this violation and then i was just kind of listening and peeking you know just looking at him and just kind of like didn't want to say anything yet uh, and then i just looked at him i said so you saw us commit that u-turn violation so you didn't see us turn into the parking lot where your car was parked 
stop, reverse in the parking lot to center ourselves again to get back into the opposite direction. And he was like, I no, I didn't see that. And who are you? And then he just got then he got to, got into me. And of course I'm dressed in, you know, some athletic gear, of course. And, you know, I'm just looking at him and he's looking at me and, you know, I'm just like, well, is there a problem? And, and he goes, Oh, now we do. Now we have a problem. And you know me, Kano, all these years, uh, I'm, you know, if you got to get down, you got to get down. But I'm like, wow, that was just an amazing experience. And then I showed him, I said, well, you know, without, I'm not trying to go into my pockets. You mind if I show you my ID? I, I'm, trust me, I'm on your side, but I want to let you know that we didn't commit what you just said. And then he goes, oh, really? And I showed him my badge and my ID and he looked at it and he just kind of dismissed it. And he was like, you weren't the one that was driving. It was her. You know, so he just dug into my sister. You just don't want to be treated like that. And that, that wasn't right. You know, he was white. Um, and I said, hey, give us a citation. Let us go. And we're out of here. And he goes, oh, well, you leave when I say you're going to leave. That kind of thing, right? That's my first experience of being a law enforcement officer treated that way by a law enforcement officer. We don't do that here. We don't train that way. Definitely here. I'm proud that our HPD guys, we, we know better. We have great supervisors that help us a lot. And we're going to help you save your freedom, first of all. Your life, of course, first and foremost, your life, your freedom, and your family. But it gets frustrating, man, Kanoa, no, no question about it. But that detailed account definitely happened, and it, it, it educated me a lot. It, it really did. Yeah, again, I, I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's, it's opening their eyes to that reality for, for you know, others out there. That's a, that's a very real lived experience. So you mentioned some of the, the – uh, peaceful protests going on. Uh, I think a lot of people here locally have seen the, the images in front of the, the Kapolei police station and, and just how I think um, harmonious that has gone, definitely getting the message across. But, but you see a lot of the HPD personnel are out there, you know, in Aloha shirts and, um, and aiding the protesters and, and making sure that they are safe, making sure that their rights are protected. Um, and it's just a, such a stark contrast, I think, for a lot of us to see that right? Uh, these HPD officers, they aren't in riot gear, for lack of a better term. And, and you can maybe correct me, Kavika, better on, on some of the terminology there. But and then you see some of the, the stuff on the mainland, right? Where it looks like it looks like a war zone. And it, it looks like, you know, a, a militarized police force, if you will, and, and what they go out in there. And I know every situation is different, but it's just a, a stark contrast, you know, and, and for those in HPD, it maybe kind of speaks to the trust in the community that they can go out there and have a conversation as opposed to, you know, doing it by force. You know, and, and you hit it on the head, Jordan. Um, it is, it's a big contrast. I was proud to be part of a plainclothes unit where we're assigned to do all those different things as well. But most people don't know here in Hawaii, you have the opportunity to really come and see exactly how we train. You can talk to it from the chief all the way on down chief Ballard, the way that we train, before incidents occur of this magnitude is, is just amazing. Uh, the homework that goes into it, the people that get selected to do certain things that get drafted, so to speak, into those type of units where you're going to see the plainclothes guys are going to be the guys are going to be the, the, the well-versed guys that can talk with the Mr. Aloha's. They're police officers as well. They'll, they'll let you know that they are, but they're, gonna, they're there to make sure, first of all, who are the leaders, who are we going to talk to, who can we speak to to get back to the other level? And then you have that last role that you don't want to get by. And that's what you guys, and that's what it's called. You is riot gear. The guys in the riot gear, they're all, they're also ready as well. So there's, there's layers to every confrontation that is prepared. And the training is just, 
really amazing. And I think for anyone that has never been, that only sees the end result of certain, certain equations that happen there in the field and anywhere else, when you see what's really put in to preparing to go to the Mauna, to lo the logistical background that needs to be done before they go to Kalailoa, and people that we know are going to prepare to change themselves together to block the roadways. Everything is, we're coming up with the best scenarios and the best way to deal with that on many different layers. Where the, and we have attorneys at the scene. We have, of course, I'm also a union rep too for our, our, our Shopo guys as well. So we have every representative out there that we, we're filming everything. And that's from our command too. So Chief Ballard deserves a lot of credit in that. We're covering all the bases, guys. We're not hiding anything. We have an audio team that is, you know, could film movies if they wanted to. It's all angles, all the times. We have body-worn cameras now. In fact, tonight is my first night using my first body-worn camera that we actually have now. And it took 19 years for me to get one of those. And to be involved in that type of situation with a transparency is one of her biggest things that she wants to impress on the public. Not trying to hide anything, but more importantly, you spoke about before we get out there in the field, we're not just running out there going, clear the sidewalk no matter what. It's, guys, let's find out who's there, how many people are there. We're documenting every, every moment of every single movement that everyone has out there. But the training, to me, is what failed disastrously on that, that other event with Mr. Floyd. And that's unfortunate. And I tell you what, you know, I played offense in high school, but that dude would have got tackled like nobody's business. I would have turned into Leonard Peters and just clean them out. I mean, for real. You just, come on, man. There's this common sense about tactics that you just don't prolong in any scenario. You know, no matter what this guy is arrested for. You know, even if he did kill three, four guys. But this was a forgery offense. Yeah, and, you know, we're inundated on social media and on mainstream media networks with some of the chaotic images, right? And as you sort of alluded to, there are some fringe groups that are reportedly responsible for some of that chaos. Uh, but to be fair, we have seen in a lot of cities, a lot of towns, uh, much more peaceful protests. And in fact, some really positive and encouraging communication between the law enforcement agencies in those areas and the protesters themselves. It's that community connection that I think is so important. And we actually saw that come out here in Hawaii, when you lost a pair of colleagues uh, who were killed on duty just earlier this year, and the, the influx of support from the community, the, the fundraising efforts, um, there seems to be, and, and, and again, uh, not every relationship is perfect, um, you know, not every incident is going to go as planned, but there does seem to be a more encouraging relationship between the members of the community here in Hawaii and law enforcement uh, agencies. And I think that came about, or at least that was on display uh, when that uh, tragedy occurred uh, within HPD earlier this year. Yes, no question. And that's one of the turning points of history here for Honolulu Police Department, where you have your first female officer losing her life in a line of duty. And Kaulike Kalama is a kid I coached at McKinley from ninth grade. I know him real well, his family, his brother, the wife, um, Tiffany was someone that worked at the station as well, but she's always been just that positive, hardworking individual as well. But you're right, um, just the people of Hawaii, we just, we're blessed. We're just, I mean, I don't know how else to explain. We're just so blessed to live, live here where we live. And it made me love everyone on this island even more 
when you see strangers dropping off food. You guys are going out to Waikiki, paying their, their homage to everyone that's out there, of course, to Tiffany, Kaulike. Guys are donating things to our, the fundraisers that it was so amazing. And those were some guys that we've arrested. So you got guys that was on both sides of the law, turned into great people, making a change with their lives, just supporting what we're trying to do out there. And when, we, when you saw that, it was just, it was special to see Tiffany's, the, the motorcade. I mean, when I stood in that on the side of the road as her motorcade came through, it, it just, you can't hold it in. You think you're all good, and all of a sudden, reality just really, really hits you when you just were talking to that particular officer just a couple of days ago. And then you look at the circumstances, running in there first. You know, Kaulike, same thing, ran in there again, knowing shots were being fired, active shooter. And they're running into an unknown situation that they're trained for and giving up the ultimate sacrifice, of course. But we want to enjoy our time together and realize how important life is in general, but how important our job is and why we need to do better every day. We just got to do better. And, and we, I, use it, I use that sports analogy all the time. You know, I tell my son that, my, my daughters, you know, you got to improve every day. Just look to get better every day. No matter what you do, you know, don't have that chip on your shoulder where you're too good or you think you're too hot, you think you're too smart, that you don't have to train. I'm definitely blessed to be where I'm at right now in this position. Well, it's like what you said, right? We, we can all attempt to be better every day, and, and that goes for just trying to be more respectful of others. I think that's where this whole thing can start, uh, is just having a respect for our fellow human being, our fellow man and woman. That could lead to then there being less fear between factions and, and different demographics. And, and I think what's interesting is you're a sports guy. And this is a sports podcast, believe it or not. But there's just so much going on in the world that we're talking about something else completely. But we have seen a lot of reaction from very prominent people within the sports realm. Uh, and you talked a little bit about your experiences in a locker room, certainly playing basketball, which is uh, one of the uh, greater platforms of diversity that we see in all of the sports world. What lessons can sports provide? Because we've seen it before uh, with, with sports sort of serving as the tip of the spear for uh, certain elements of desegregation and race relations. Uh, we have seen sports figures making political statements on behalf of uh, race relations. Uh, what is your viewpoint of how important a role sports can serve in what is clearly going to have to be a healing process that needs to be initiated here going forward? I always think about is you're always taught to respect your opponent. You respect your opponent. So in this situation, though, you can translate it to, you know, respect the situation, respect what they're angry about, respect why they're feeling that way. Doing your homework, doing your homework, being prepared before you get out on that field, out on that court, anywhere you want to go athletically, you have to be of the strongest mind, body, preparation that you can be in to get the best results out of it and then when you relate it to what's happening now you got to look at it where I need to understand a little bit more educate myself a little bit more and understand that this is real first of all it is real guys and to think that you might live your life in a glass house all these years and think it doesn't happen turn on any station and now you're seeing that it's going down it's it's a new day and age but sports for me I always use that as a way to psych myself into anything I'm doing with life, you know, how to bounce back, how to be able to heal. You talk about the healing. We all got to heal. So that's what you talk about, guys. After a devastating loss, guys, 
if you can bounce back and make it back to the top again, and we can, and we, by saying that, I mean rebuild. Um, you're going to have to rebuild all of these things. You saw the College Football Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame, de just destroyed in California. And sports people like me, we just try to say, guys, this is what happened. This is our plan moving forward. Let's execute this plan, and let's make it happen, man. Let's make it happen. Let's, let's do this together. That's what team sports is all about. That's what I love about sports. We'll rally around this. We're going to do something about this. We're going to rally. We're going to do this together, and we're going to be better than ever. We can't let them win. We can't let them win. We got to go out and go ahead and say, you see the pictures of everyone hugging each other, law enforcement, protesters. That's where we need to be, and that's where it has to be a little bit more consistent, and hopefully it resonates. You know, I'm not going to sit here and talk about the president, anything like that. I'm just – that's just not me. I'm not trying to get in that game. I'm just more for the – I know where my foot belongs is in the streets, trying to make this a better place, safer place for my family businesses out there that work so hard to get where they're at and they're being really just just demolished in front of our eyes and it's just heartbreaking to see. Uh, certainly your views on the relationship between law enforcement and the community that surrounds it. Uh, it is one that believes in the ideal that there can be aloha between the citizenship of a community and those who serve in law enforcement. Uh, and so I appreciate that. And I think that is what should be aspired to for uh, so many uh, in your field and in your line of work. Uh, and so I, I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, it was, it's great talking with you. I do want to have you on another time. We can talk about like normal stuff, like UH basketball and, and that kind of stuff. You know, that kind of thing, you know, yeah. Staff. You know, LeBron versus MJ, you know, that kind of stuff. But, uh, but you know, there, there are unfortunately uh, unprecedented things that have happened around us. And, and so I did want to have uh, you on to, to share your viewpoints. And I really appreciate it, Kaviks. No, I, th I thank you guys for having me. And I'll tell you what, we're we talking about the protesters, but there are times when the community is our biggest ally. We can't do what we do effectively without them. We just can't. We, we cannot do it effectively if we can't get into KPT and Merrite housing and really get it spread our wings anywhere you want to go, Hawaii Kai, you name it. We can't do our job if we aren't able to communicate within these factions around our state and be able to be effective at the job we want to do and the job that we're doing, whether it's education on our part, understanding, because the biggest, some of the biggest cases that I've made, we've made, is the help of the community played a big part. And I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm glad about the training. I'm glad that we have the training we have. And I'm glad I was able to talk a little bit about it. And I truly appreciate you. You know that, Kano, and a great job again to you, Jordan, as well. I'm just uh, just excited, and I'm, I'm always excited to be on here, and I'm glad I was. All right, big thanks to Kavika Hallams for jumping on with us. It was a, a great pleasure talking with him, and I think he shared uh, quite a lot. Uh, so big thanks to him. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll have our post game coming up after this. Hey, for our listeners on Maui, we are holding out hope that the 18th season of the Maui Flag Football League will take place as scheduled this summer. The MFFL is a youth flag football league for boys and girls ranging in age from 3 to 18, broken up into divisions of seven different age groups representing five districts, upcountry, Wailuku, Kahului, Kihei, and Lahaina. The goal of the MFFL is to teach the game of football without the worry of violent contact, concussions, or weight cutting. It's all about having fun, being active, and making new friends while reinforcing important values like teamwork, perseverance, and respect for your fellow players and coaches. 
For more information on the Maui Flag Football League, please call 808-280-7513 or email mauiflagfootball at gmail.com and get signed up. All right, back to the show. All right, Jordan, time for our post game. We usually do the best and worst here, but man, it's been such a heavy kind of episode. We've been talking about such heavy, uh, somber stuff. Uh, so maybe we do a best and best. How about that? We would cut out the worst. There's been too much worst stuff here uh, in this uh, episode. So let's uh, go with our best and best. Uh, we were inspired a little bit by uh, our buddy Sam Spangler at KHON2. Uh, he actually gave us a best via Twitter, uh, and it was a video of John Jones, UFC fighter, taking away a couple of vandal spray cans during protests that occurred in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, of course, Sam is from Albuquerque, so I think he had a greater and more profound appreciation for that. Uh, but that was pretty cool. Uh, a lot of the vandalism that we're seeing, uh, unfortunately, is attributed to people that are part of perhaps fringe organizations that have uh, different motives as far as trying to escalate the chaos and some of the damage that is being done. They want to create a little more anarchy. Uh, and here is John Jones, who has, you know, been through some stuff in his personal life for sure. But uh, here he was trying to take care of his town, man. And I thought that that was pretty good. Great uh, suggestion, certainly, by Sam Spangler. But what's your best here, Jordan? Yeah, I, I love that uh, Sam kind of shared that with us. I thought it was pretty awesome. Uh, I, I'm going to uh, go flashback, uh, kind of unrelated to anything we've talked about so far today. Uh, but it was it was crazy that uh, over the weekend we got a couple of of ten year flashbacks, if you will. I can't believe it's been a decade already. But uh, the University of Hawaii Rainbow Wahine softball team, uh, you know, ten years ago this weekend basically uh, went to the College World Series. They're their first and only in program history, uh, where Jenna Rodriguez hits that walk off home run. Kelly Majors on first base. It's two outs. It's the bottom of the seventh inning. They're in Tuscaloosa. Uh, and it's like they won game one, I think, of that best of three series. Uh, and they were down to their final out. And I was like, man, they got so close. And, and I, I remember, I remember that hit. She hits the walk-off home run, first pitch she sees uh, deep over the left field wall. I've rewatched that video, I don't know, like 50 times this mm -hmm. weekend. Uh, I think I just needed uh, a little pick-me-up uh, with everything going on. But it, it's crazy. It's been 10 years now. That team was unbelievable. Uh, boy, and they were fun to watch because they hit a ton of home runs. Uh, with Majum and Jessica Iwata and, and Jenna Rodriguez and and the whole list down that lineup for Bob Coolin. So it's been 10 years. That is crazy to me. And it's also the 10-year anniversary. 2010 apparently was like the best year for softball in the 808 because uh, that was the year HPU, Hawaii Pacific University, also won the Division II National Championship in softball, beat Valdosta State. That anniversary came, I think, like two days ago. Um, Malia Killam was a Maui girl who was on that team. I saw her share some of the stuff. Uh, some of the flashback stuff. So that was pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, Mike, that's, uh, that's my best here. Uh, a little throwback uh, to, to 2010, the summer of softball yeah. in the 808. Yeah, there's not much that has occurred in 2020 that is worth reflecting on. So I'm all for uh, <laughs> the nostalgia of some better times. Uh, and those were some uh, great times, certainly on the softball field. Uh, my best is uh, now Twitter has been a cesspool at times. And certainly uh, I have been watching far too many videos of uh, chaotic situations and, and, and certainly heartbreaking uh, imagery uh, here over the course of the last few days. But Twitter has provided some much needed levity. There was a meme that actually was going around uh, and it had a picture of an empty glass case, right? Like kind of a, a glass trophy case that was empty with the caption looters in LA have broken into the Clippers facility and stolen all of their championship trophies. It's getting bad. Stay safe, everyone. And I'm like, ah, even in a time like this, we can still count 
on some Laker fan out there deciding to fire some shots at Clipper Nation. And, and it, it, it brought a, a little bit of, of laughter to my day. Uh, much needed laughter for sure. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, somebody was trying to write a script for a bonus Game of Zones episode or something, you know? <laughs> Have you watched it yet? No, I still haven't. Oh, it, 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 there was a lot going on this weekend. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you're I just, uh, yeah, it's probably a good idea, though, to a little escapism. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, time for us to go take a shower after this heavy episode, but uh, we do appreciate Kavika Hallams for coming on with us. Uh, Jordan, thanks, man. We'll talk again soon. Maybe even about sports. Looking forward to it, man. 